Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, it seems like a couple of months ago, we were very interested in what's happening with the Georgia quarterback situation. I'd say for the last few weeks, we've kind of veered away from that a little bit. And so with Georgia practice set to begin next week, probably time to kind of dive back into this and sort of figure out where things stand in the battle to replace Stetson Bennett. And I think the one thing we've all kind of come to agree with, realize, is that Bennett actually leaves really big shoes to fill uh, at the Georgia quarterback situation. This was a Heisman finalist a year ago. This was a fourth-round pick of a very quarterback-centric team like the Los Angeles Rams. They value him seemingly as a pro prospect. His college career, I think, would be in kind of the legendary category, back-to-back national championships, big numbers put up in New York City uh, back last winter. So big shoes to fill when it comes to what Stetson Bennett leaves behind here at Georgia. And I think we would say that after G-Day, the guy who seemed to be you know, fairly well out in front in this quarterback situation was likely to be Carson Beck. Now, admittedly, this was a little bit of an assumption on my part, your part, if you thought the same thing there on that. I thought that Beck looked really sharp on G-Day. I thought that, G, uh, that, that Beck was sort of treated as – you know, there's a lot of kind of like, I guess, subliminal evidence that he was kind of treated in many ways, like the starting quarterback as one of those vibes you sort of got during the game. I think I turned to some people during the game and said, I sort of, I was joking when I said this, but the overall point kind of, kind of, you know, reigned that I think I've sort of seen enough to make me assume that Carson Beck is going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia. You know, we've had Jake Fromm, the former Georgia quarterback on the show over the course of the last few months. And if you want to go back to that springtime of year, you know, Jake was kind of saying the same thing, that he thought that the job was Carson Beck's to lose. And that's kind of where we were on this back in the spring. Well, now you've kind of fast forwarded a little bit. You've kind of gone through the summer workouts. That's you know, air quotes here, voluntary, a little bit of responsibility on the quarterback to make sure those go the way they're supposed to. That's the sort of leadership you do away from the watchful eye of coaches. But we're about to be, you know, beginning this thing in earnest, ready to go with real live football practices for Georgia beginning next week. We're all excited about that. And the quarterback competition for the dogs being in a little bit of a spotlight. And once again, to speak of Jake Fromm, incredibly valuable to have a guy like that on the program because he knows what this feels like think about the jake Fromm years at georgia you had a situation in 2017 where jake started as the backup expected to be the backup yet kirby smart talked him up a lot during that summer and that spring as a guy who would push for playing time and when jacob eason got hurt first game of the season really at the very beginning of the game against appalachian state boom Fromm was ready to step in and uh and, and and take over that job and you know really kind of led georgia to an sec championship and into the college ball playoff the next year for jake completely different scenario now he is the established starting quarterback justin fields comes in and in a competition ongoing between the two guys jake from held off justin won that competition remained the georgia starting quarterback for that season by the way weird stuff with justin this week uh talking about the uh, fake punt from 2018 the sec championship game bringing back a lot of bad memories from some uga fans but interesting to hear justin talking about that some this week anyway you go to 2019 where 
at that point in time, Jake was sort of like the unquestioned starter. Stetson Bennett was the backup. No one knew anything about him. And Jake was kind of treated as the starting quarterback from essentially the beginning all the way through when it comes to that particular season. So in three years at Georgia, Jake sort of experienced every kind of quarterback situation you can experience. The unquestioned starter, the expected backup, a guy who won a pretty high-profile competition against Justin Fields. So he knows what Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton are about to go through. And last Friday, when Jake was on our show, he talked about you know what it feels like this time of year when you get ready to go into a quarterback situation and a competition. And at the end of this clip, kind of drops a little bit of an opinion that may be a slight change from where things were uh, as recently as a couple of months ago. This is what Jake Fromm said on our show on Friday. It's about to get real for those guys, man. It's about to come in, competing. Um, and I think what the rest of the team wants to see – uh, the guy who's going to be consistent, compete every day, um, and, and really take the bull by the horns and, and be a great leader for this team uh, throughout camp, man. Camp's tough. It's a grind. Uh, man, I didn't want to see the same guy in and out of the huddle uh, every single day. So, um, you know, as far as the, the competition going on, um, you know, Carson wasn't there at SEC Media Days. Um, so, you know, maybe it, uh, it might be slightly more open than, than we might think. So it's the statement there at the end from Jake it's probably worth revisiting here for a moment because what Jake has told us before is he thought this was Carson Beck's job to lose. Most of us, I think, would say the same thing going into that. That's been obviously conventional wisdom. And I would say after G-Day, I thought that Carson Beck, barring some sort of injury or some sort of unexpected circumstance, was likely to be the Georgia starting quarterback. And yet Jake said last week on our show, hey, maybe push pause on this. And maybe this job for now is slightly more open than we currently think that it is. Carson Beck wasn't taking to SEC media days. Jake did go in 2019. The caveat to that is, is that Kirby oftentimes doesn't take quarterbacks with him to media days unless it's a truly established, you know, starter in that situation. Uh, in that case, maybe, maybe you know, Kirby will do that. Oftentimes he doesn't. So I don't know if we read too much into the media days thing. But it is probably worth at least considering what Jake says there as the truth of the matter going into next week, that this could be more open. This could be more of a real competition. And while it seemed established in terms of a pecking order after spring practice, you know, the likes of Brock Vandergriff, the likes of Gunnar Stockton have their moment coming up here to have some sort of say in who the eventual starting quarterback for Georgia is. Now, here's what I'll tell you is this is one of those things that will mostly play out away from our eyes media will see some of practice some of y'all will be invited the (laughs) the rich folks among our audience will be invited to go to some of these scrimmages and things like that so some people will get a glimpse of some of this and gosh knows the rumor mill is going to be lighted uh lit on fire here with all kinds of uh, stuff being said but for the most part this is going to happen away from our watchful eyes in terms of you know really how the quarterback pecking order is playing out but you will not have to work hard to get some pretty strong clues here as i've said in the past when Jake Fromm in 2017 was making a big push all throughout that calendar year, Kirby Smart was more than happy to talk about it. So starting in you know next week and the next you know few weeks through August, if Brock Vandegrift really is pushing Carson Beck, I don't think Kirby Smart will try to keep that a secret. I think he'll be more than happy to mention Brock Vandegrift by name. After all, when Jake Fromm was doing that, uh, 
Kirby talked about it a good bit. We played that audio on the show for you before. If, if Brock Vandegrift really is making a push, I think that Kirby Smart will give voice to that, if for no other reason than because he wants to make sure he gets the most and the best out of Carson Beck and highlighting the way in which somebody else is making this a real competition only adds kind of fuel to that fire. And if it's Gunnar Stockton who does that, it'll be very much the same way. There's also this sense in which, have you ever noticed that when it comes to like the Georgia practice stuff, good news leaks out all the time. Bad news almost never leaks out unless it's an injury. You know, we hear about so-and-so is having a good camp, but we never hear so-and-so is having a bad camp. Bad news just doesn't leak. Sometimes the, the, the evidence of something bad is no news. You know, like when it comes to Georgia football and training camp, no news is not necessarily good news. Go back to 2020 here for a moment when Georgia had what Carson Beck himself has called a very odd quarterback competition back when it was Jamie Newman here and then he opted out and then out of nowhere Dwan Mathis is sort of named the starter and then Stetson Bennett out of even more nowhere had to come in and save uh you know uh, (laughs) Stetson uh, I should say come and save Dwan Mathis in that first game against Arkansas where George was about to lose as almost a 30 point favorite uh you had the stuff going on with JT Daniels that to this day still still seems a little bit weird to me that's one of those examples where they're (laughs) we weren't hearing a ton about the quarterback situation uh and that no news did not turn out to be good news that it was pretty weird and for a while didn't really seem like anybody was emerging in that Georgia quarterback battle that that you know that's something to kind of watch for and kind of pay attention to a a little bit that if we're hearing something about quarterback let's let you know that this is sort of progressing the way that it's supposed to be and as far as exactly what practice is kind of supposed to play out like go back to SEC media days last week Kirby was talking to Chris Lowe that's a reporter for ESPN.com Chris Lowe stopped I guess uh you know (laughs) it's normal love affair with Nick Saban talked to another SEC coach for a couple of minutes and he did speak to uh, Kirby Smart this is what Kirby told Lowe from ESPN about what's going to matter for this quarterback situation that uh that that right now Beck is the leader but he has not done enough to say he's the starter Mike Griffith also wrote about this last week at dognation.com and one of the things that Kirby went into more detail with with Chris Lowe about is what's going to happen on these third down plays you get in one of these Saturday summer scrimmages in August there at Stanford Stadium where it's 215 degrees and they do like a series of third down plays over and over and over again defense is coming after you uh you got to make a quick decision get rid of the football it's really in situations like that that the real starting quarterback for Georgia emerges now my prediction is that's going to be Carson Beck but when someone like Jake Fromm takes it's uh when someone like Jake Fromm says gonna be you know all right so I don't know what happened there I guess we uh, completely uh you know lost our signal there for a moment but we're glad to have you back here with us right now that was uh really weird and uh really strange so just to kind of finish up what we were saying before and we certainly apologize for the interruption there on that Jake Fromm says this is a quarterback competition that does not appear to be settled as of yet uh kind of giving voice to the idea that there's a real competition about to be waged kirby smart acknowledging that carson beck is truly the leader but there's going to be work to be done to prove that he deserves to be more than just a leader in the competition but the actual starter we'll see all that start to play out next week the season is kind of finally here we're post sec media days we're looking at the start of practice here in a couple of weeks and every indication that we have is it is going to be a very fun quarterback competition my guess is we'll hear some leaks and some and some hints and some clues about where all this is playing out and we'll see if uh carson beck who seemed to conclude spring in a pretty good spot can hold on to that lead and truly emerge as the georgia starting quarterback for this fall 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, live on video, 945 for a first and 15, dognation.com and uh, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 Ref, and we're available as a podcast. However, you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com. Lots of ways for you to connect with our show. Just really happy to have you do it with us, including our 1996 episode here today. We are counting down just a few days away from episode 2000 for us. One of those things that's a probably a bigger deal to me internally than it is to you. Externally, you don't necessarily care about the big numbers, the round numbers, things like that. But my gosh, what a uh, journey it's been for us since August of 2015 when we started this, you know, continuing on here now, approaching episode 2000. We are so excited about that. And of course, it is great sponsors every day that gives us a chance to have that be true as well, including our friends at Breda Pest Management here today. I mentioned Sanford Stadium a moment ago. It's about to be packed here coming up this fall. When you are there, if you're lucky enough to go to games here this year, you look around, you see this beautiful stadium. By the way, going to be renovated there too. Some kind of a new look for you there on the south side of that uh, venue here this year. But when you're looking around that stadium or any other Georgia athletic facility that you go to, keep in mind those great uh, Georgia facilities protected by our friends at Breda Pest Management, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. What that means is they keep the termites out, the bugs out, the critters out, that kind of thing there too. And this is, by the way, the time of year when you probably see more of that around your house than you maybe do any other time of year there as well. And Breda Pest Management can put the same level of protection for you as they do for UGA as the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. Let's face it, here in Georgia, termites are just a fact of life. If you haven't had them before, you will have them eventually. Termites are just a thing that we deal with here in Georgia. That's why you have termite protection. But the company you work with, they may not have the substantial resources you know, dedicated to your service that Breda Pest Manager can provide. A company that's been in business since 1975 with 125 employees. They're certainly not recognized as the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. What that means is they're having to work every year just to keep up. And the way in which they work to keep up is by raising the cost of your service each and every year, even though the quality of the service may be going down. That's not going to be the case with our friends at Breda Pest Manager. You can make money instantly just for making the switch to Breda Pest Manager, putting more money back in your pocket just for making that decision. So please find them online. It's BredaPest.com. That's BredaPest.com. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for a lot more on that. Great to have them providing uh, Dog Nation Daily for us here today. Now, We've got a very busy show. Believe it or not, a Georgia rival, in this case, Georgia Tech coach Brent Key, newly christened Georgia Tech coach Brent Key, has said something that I kind of actually kind of agree with, uh, at least in one respect, or at least I'm glad that he's saying it. I'll tell you more about why that is later on in our program. Also, weird controversy involving the team we've called Mighty Michigan because of how many people seem to think they're going to be the number one team in the country. We'll address that here coming up in just a little bit. And we'll hear from Mike Griffith here, too, coming up in a couple of minutes there as well. But for now, let's go around the doghouse. Sport today by our friends at Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream. And there is one thing that I sort of hoped would play out during this offseason that I think is playing out exactly as I hoped that it might. And go back to 2021 here for a moment. At that particular time, You've got a guy in Brock Bowers who had, as a true freshman, George, like 13 touchdowns, something like that. This this is a guy who became a revelation from the word go. Targeted the most of anybody in that game against Clemson. Georgia didn't score a touchdown that day. But Bowers pretty clearly was recognized 
right away as the most important offensive weapon this team had. And he went on to have, I mean, really a historic season by Georgia standards. And yet at the end of that year, when it was time to award the Mackey Award winners, the nation's top tight end, not only did did Bowers not win the award, as many of you are aware of, he wasn't even nominated as a finalist. It was a huge error on the part of the Mackey Award, and frankly, they should be embarrassed about that even to this day. I hope that they are. But apart from that, you had to conclude, gosh, for as good as Bowers is, he's just not getting the kind of attention that he deserves. We talked about this yesterday as it relates to Lad McConkey. A little bit different kind of story than McConkey. McConkey did not have you know, the immediate impact, maybe a guy like Brock did, he's kind of emerged to be good over time. Bowers was a a shockingly good player from the very moment he stepped on a, uh, a college football field for the very first time, and people just simply were not aware of it. And a lot of that's just sort of due to the fact that Georgia is a very good team, obviously, with incredibly talented players on both sides of the ball, 15 draft picks in, 20, uh, in the 2022 draft, uh, another 10 draft picks in last year's, you know, draft just you know or I should say this year's draft just a huge huge number of elite former four and five star recruits who turn into big time draft picks and everybody has the potential to kind of hide in plain sight because of how overall talented uh this georgia team has been but if you want to have a proper appreciation for the history that's playing out in front of our eyes with georgia winning the back-to-back national championships georgia being in a position to go for three and 23 you have to appreciate the fact that of all the players who've kind of come through here, I don't know that anybody has a strong case of being better than what Bowers has been. You know, back during February, I kind of put him on Mount Rushmore of Georgia players already with obviously more to build on that legacy here for this upcoming year. And thankfully, the push that's been ongoing here to kind of put Brock Bowers in the spotlight, I think seems to be working. You know, he was at SEC Media Days last week. I think a lot of media members who maybe hadn't written a ton about Bowers or put a lot of focus on Bowers I think now they're doing more of that I want to give you an example of this here for a moment Cole Kublik is a guy who works as an SEC network analyst uh, he also hosts a radio show every morning in Birmingham Alabama with Greg McElroy uh, back during the offseason Kirby Smart went on their radio program he does that every year because he plays in that celebrity pro-am tournament before the region's tradition the PGA Tour Champions event that takes place in the Birmingham area Kirby always plays in the pro-am and he'll typically do a little bit of local media when he's there one of the things that came up during that interview was Kirby talking about Brock Bowers and how cool that he is and Kubelik since then has kind of taken the mantle of also talking more about Brock Bowers there as well and the ultimate wish that I had for the media of recognizing Bowers as legitimately maybe the best player in the country there's not a single player in this country I would trade Bowers for I wouldn't trade him for Caleb Williams I wouldn't trade him for Marvin Harrison Jr. I literally wouldn't trade him for anybody and suddenly I think finally the media is catching up the people outside the bubble of dog nation they are catching up with what we I think have known here for a while that Bowers may be about as good as it gets let me give you an example here cole kublik who i mentioned a moment ago was on one of the barstool shows i think it's called unnecessary roughness that's their college football show and he was talking about bowers and finally you're going to see the evidence here that bowers is being discussed with the kind of language that has been appropriate for the last two years but finally coming true here's cole kublik i don't think there's a comp to brock bowers like i don't know why we're not talking about him as the best football player in america not the best tight end i just don't know if there's anything like him Guys, he got legit reps at running back in the spring. So I was joking with Kirby like a month ago at a golf tournament in Birmingham. And I said, you're going to get Brock some reps at running back? Because I knew he played it in high school. And Kirby says, well, you know, we were down a couple backs in the spring. So we, we let him carry it a little bit in the spring. And I'm just like, forget it. Like, this dude, like, put him in outside linebacker. Like, what are we doing? 
So that is the way that Brock Bowers should be discussed. That's what we said back at the start of this calendar year was our hope for the offseason, that he would be recognized as very likely the best player in the country, the kind of player that if you're a Georgia fan, you shouldn't want to trade for anybody. So think about this upcoming season. Obviously, it's been a long time. I think in 1948, I think we said we did this on a show a couple of weeks ago. Been since the 1940s since a tight end has won the Heisman Trophy. It seems almost unforeseeable in 2023 that could happen. But Bowers is the kind of player that ought to be in that conversation. And given the way that he's been treated here over the course of the last couple of weeks, national and regional media paying a whole lot more attention to him, it certainly seems like Brock Bowers is finally starting to get the credit he has deserved for quite some time. We will make that around the doghouse, poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. And hopefully by now, you've had a chance to try this brand new beverage offering from our friends at Dr. Pepper. You can pick it up pretty much anywhere. Our local Kroger's obviously have that. And wherever you're doing your shopping, you can also find some Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream there as well. Uh, The same great care and flavor that you've enjoyed with Dr. Pepper for a long time. It's been my favorite drink probably my entire life. Well, now I'm excited about the brand new Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream, a delicious flavor. There's also a Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar, too, because really, I don't think anybody does the Zero Sugar offerings better than what Dr. Pepper does. That's always been a thing they've been well known for. Tastes just like the real thing. And uh, that's what Dr. Pepper is all about. Literally delicious uh, and a, a great new flavor, especially this time of year. You know, you're out doing some fun stuff with the family. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Zero sugar. A uh, really, really fun new beverage offering from Dr. Pepper. Anytime they introduce a new permanent flavor, that's always a big deal. And Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar certainly a really big deal as well. We appreciate them pouring around the doghouse for us here today. All right, so before we're done, as I said before, a little bit of interesting words coming out of a Georgia rival's mouth. We'll talk about that. Also, some of y'all will like this potential evidence of true bias against uga in the national media we'll kind of share what's out there on uh that front here today we'll cover a lot of that ground but for now i I do want to get more into what happened last week at sec media days what is likely to happen as you look ahead to the start of georgia practices next week season is here it is upon us and we're certainly looking forward to all of it let's keep the conversation going with our buddy mike griffith uh, on dog nation daily presented by brady pest management here today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Good to have Mike Griffith here as a part of our program here today. Obviously a lot going on with Georgia transitioning away from media days, transitioning to the start of practice. And Mike, if you don't mind, I want to start by looking backwards at least least here briefly. You know, you and I spoke last week. It was during media days. Uh, You hadn't gotten a chance to hear you know, from uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart and some of the other stuff was kind of ongoing at the time. So let me begin by asking you, what are your ultimate takeaways from the event last week, whether it be Georgia related or around the rest of the league? What's the what's the lasting memory and image for you about last week's media days? Well, I mean, I, I thought George obviously got a lot of respect, Brandon. I mean, 16 guys, 11 first team picks. I mean, to put that into perspective, the 2021 team, that would have 15 players drafted, had two players selected preseason first-team All-CC at that event. Two. I'm going to challenge you. I want you to name the two first-team Bulldogs that were picked at 2021 SEC Media Days. I know you'll get one of them. Was it Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean? You got one of them. Jordan okay. Davis and Jake Camarda. Okay. Who but. And both of these guys, by the way, are probably likely future NFL, or, uh, college football Hall of Famers. 
you know, I've kind of gotten on that tangent. But who's a Hall of Famer? Who are the guys off these Georgia teams? Of course, they have to be All-Americans. But my point is, those preseason All-American teams, you know, are really more a sign of respect than what you've done the year before. I think that a lot of these first-team Bulldogs um, are, are riding the coattails of last year. For example, I don't believe Nazir Stackhouse is one of the two best defensive tackles in the, in the SEC. But he's first-team pick. Um, now, there's plenty of other Bulldogs that are worthy of those honors. Uh, personally, I, I'm, I'm shocked Tyke Smith wasn't among. I think Tyke Smith, it, at the end of the year, is going to be a guy you're going to say is an All-SEC player. So, um, but, but other than that, it, the, the league just seems really kind of up for grabs. I mean, there's been past years where we've said, oh, my gosh, there's these two or three teams that all look so good. And right now, I, I think Georgia is the most sure thing, and yet – this is probably the most uncertain Georgia team we've seen in terms of who's coming back at key positions probably since 2020, I would say. Yeah, and what I've said a couple times this week, Mike, is you know I think about the preseason all-SEC team is really little more than a projection for how people think it's going to end when it's all said and done. The last two years, Georgia has had five first-team all-SEC players at the end of the year, which is obviously a good number but you know kind of projected to have 11 this year and there's going to be some fluctuation with that some of the guys who you know preseason will be there at the end of the year and some of the guys who are not there they may you know obviously get their chance to show what they're all about but the overall point here is and I'll repeat myself again if Georgia has 11 first team all SEC players or something close to the 16 all these all SEC players that are you know generally mentioned here this season's not going to be close, that, that there will be no challenge, there will be no threat to Georgia. Now, college football is not designed to be easy, so maybe you know, we're you know, set to see someone emerge here. But if Georgia truly has 11 first-team All-SEC players, Mike, the season is already over. Well, are you setting me up to say that they don't really have – I don't think they're going to have 11 first-team All-SEC players at the end of the year. I will say that. I, I, I think that Georgia got the old default. I mean, we're so used to Alabama being the default pick for first-team players, right? If you don't know who to put there, who's starting at Alabama? I, I think Georgia's become that program. I think they've earned that, you know, by having, what, 34 players drafted in the last three years and, uh, what, 25 in the last two, which is an NFL record. I mean, Kirby has been putting out more talent, and, and they're back-to-back, you know, college football champions. And they're the odds-on favorite to win this year, so why wouldn't you pick them to win the league? And, and I do. I pick them to win the league. But I just, I'm not convinced that there's 11. Maybe there is. Maybe it's a transitional year. But when I look at Nazir Stackhouse, for example, I don't put him in the same category as Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and Jalen Carter. I just don't. I think he's very good. I, I think he's an NFL player. But do I think he's a first-round pick? No. I mean, maybe Michael is. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the linebackers when Smile Monday gets back. Could he be if he's healthy? Jamon Dumas Johnson, possibly. Don't know what kind of board he's going to run. Love the safeties. I'm all about Bullard and Starks. They're future NFL stars. How good are the corners? Ah, well, I don't really know. Let's wait and find out because they're not going to have the benefit of the same sort of pass rush. There's no Jalen Carter. There's no number 88. George has gone from having what amounted to 12 guys on the field with Jalen Carter, because nobody was going to block him one-on-one to 11 like everyone else. And Kirby Smart saying we're going to have to find other ways to get pressure. And I know that's a pet peeve for you, because you're a big Havoc guy. I do. And so if they're going to have to start to bring Havoc, right? 
Maybe so. I mean, obviously, I'm hopeful for guys like Marvin Jones Jr. in his second year, and you know, maybe even a guy like Damon Wilson in his first year. I certainly have big expectations for uh, for Mikael Williams. I think that's one of the areas in which, you know, you look at a lot of like the you know like the early like gambling analytics type stuff that's out there. I mean, there are a lot of people going to power rate that Georgia defense this year, even sight unseen, ahead of where it was a year ago. Obviously, Georgia played a lot of last year without uh, you know Jalen Carter. So I mean, I think I, I think there are a lot of objective people kind of outside the bubble of dog nation that can make a pretty strong case for this Georgia defense this year being better than the Georgia defense was in 2022 and as far as the well how do you replace Jalen Carter and stuff like that gosh knows you know Georgia fans heard more than their fair share that a year ago when they were kind of told that replacing 15 draft picks they had no chance winning the national championship and they refuted that then and so I don't know that the whole idea of you know how can you replace so and so I don't know how much weight that kind of holds for for the average Georgia fan right now just given the fact that was the predominant narrative last season it didn't hold up very long yeah well you had leaders coming back you had nolan smith and you had jalen carter coming back and this year i don't know who i point to in those shoes you're talking about guys that haven't done it yet michael williams has okay he led the team in sacks and i throw him out there as a possibility um even though he's coming off of an injury uh the defensive line isn't as proven and so it's it, not to say that they won't do it brandon all i'm saying is in the past there's been guys we could point to that had gotten it done before. We knew that Nolan, we knew what Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter were going to do rolling into this year. We knew that. We absolutely knew. We'd seen flashes of Jamal Dumas Johnson, you know, when he had had those opportunities behind the Kobe. Uh, we knew that, um, I think we knew that Javon Bullard had some upside from what Kirby Smart, but I don't really know. And, and, and again, it, there's no reason to doubt it. Like you said, there's no reason to doubt it because Kirby Smart and Georgia have proven they can develop players. They've been on track. They've been turning out one NFL class after another. They've been you know, leading the nation or in the top two or three in run defense four or five years. The difference is, is I don't see the carryover on the interior defensive line. And, and then what Kirby Smart said. I just take it from what Kirby Smart said when he said, we don't have train wreckers or havoc makers. We're going to have to find other ways to get pressure. That was the head coach saying that. I didn't hear him say that in the two or three pre. So to me, when I look at areas of Georgia that may not be as good, now we may not find this out until October, November, because Lord knows, as I said, they play a jamboree schedule in September. I mean, you know, I, you know, strike up the band for South Carolina. It's an SEC game technically, but they'll dominate that team at the line of scrimmage. I don't think we're really going to have an idea who or what Georgia is until the Auburn game. But coming out of media days, I felt very confident that Georgia was the best team in the league. Uh, I felt like they'd gotten a lot of respect. I felt like the narrative has finally started to shift away from Alabama because even last year, I mean, my goodness, Alabama had like 200 votes to win the league to Georgia's 35, something stupid like that. It was an overwhelming majority of people that picked Alabama last year. And now it's Georgia. Now it's Georgia that's in the catbird seat, that's picked first to win the league for the first time in years, maybe only the second time ever, and by an overwhelming majority with 16 All-SEC guys, 11 of them first team, and they still miss, to me, one of the most deserving for, like, what about Brett Thorson? How'd the punter not even make it? Brandon, I think he might be the best punter in the league. Um, I want to get back to George in a minute, but before we completely turn our attention off of SEC Media Days, who else did you think away from Georgia had a good week last week whether it be you know I I guess I'm asking more about a team here you know who do you think made a good case for themselves away from Georgia last week at media days 
I thought Brian Kelly did. I, I like what Brian Kelly said, and and you know the confidence they were. But I'm I'm not I'm not completely sold. I'm just not. I'm really not sold on anybody in the West. I know somebody is going to emerge. Uh, you know the, the Texas A&M guys wearing the sunglasses. I got to tell you, that was some of the weakest swag I've ever seen. Like that's what they did. What did they do? They wore sunglasses. Like that was it. Like that's it. Like that's what that's all it takes to be cool in college. Apparently. That's all it takes to be cool in College Station is to wear sunglasses at an indoor press conference. That was, it was, I, I almost felt bad for him. Like, really, guys, that's why you're at A&M and not Texas, right? So I didn't like, that was like, yeah, that didn't work. LSU, though, I, I thought LSU made a good case. Um, you know, but we know they're, they're somewhat thin, and we don't really know if they have the depth to, to survive the season. And they have a very uh, difficult first part of the schedule. Uh, if LSU emerges from the first half of their schedule intact, that, that's a team you're probably going to see in Atlanta because the back half of their schedule, I believe five of their last six games are home. <clears throat> I don't know how I felt about Alabama. You know, Nick Saban saying one thing, the Trench Kings over there saying another, saying their standards higher. First of all, I don't know how you call yourself the Trench King when you're not even the best offensive lineman on your own team. But there he was with the big TK pendant that, you know, what is that? I said, what does that stand That stands for Trench King. I said, oh, well, who is he? Like, if he's the Trench King, shouldn't I at least know who he is? Like, if Hold on. Carter wore Trench But you don't think Latham's the best? You? you don't think Latham's the best offensive line for Alabama? I, I, I mean, listen, nobody nobody likes taking shots at Alabama more than I do, but I think Latham's a good player. I mean, I, I have to admit that at least. I mean, he's not the left tackle. Usually the left tackle is typically the best. I mean, we'll see. Maybe maybe time will bear that out. But but I thought that was very bold when because <laughs> the head coach said minutes earlier, I'm not here to build expectations. And then 20 minutes later, his offensive lineman is saying they've got higher standards than Georgia. And, and, and you can ask anybody, and they're going to win. Anybody on the team believes they're going to win. Of course, you're supposed to say you're going to win the league. I get that. I get that. But, you know, that, that was, it was a bit, for me, it was a bit much from a guy whose, whose name I didn't even. Maybe if I followed recruiting closer, I would know who he is. But I just, it wasn't like, you know, that I was sitting there, you know, listening to, you know Andrew Thomas or something like that. I, I don't even, you know I don't know who this. We'll see what this guy does this year. I think he's got a. Obviously Alabama still is Alabama. They'll have a big target on him. Somebody's got to emerge from the West. I thought Lane Kiffin's uh, appeal for the good of college football was laughable. I mean I think everything he said he was was true about you know the the programs that have the richest boosters. All you got to do is look at their recruiting rankings. I think he's right. I think that by and large the, the programs that are paying the most for players are getting them. I mean, I'm not saying. That's not to say that development and, and, and facilities and coaching, of course all that matters. But at the end of the day, every coach acknowledges that NIL is a big part of it. The fact that Lane Kiffin is playing victim right now, I, I find that laughable. I mean, this is a guy that would that, that talk about a uh, silver spoon. I mean, he, what, he gets a Raiders job in his early 30s, he's coaching at USC, you know, he gets fired from there. Uh, you know, Tennessee walks away from that after one year and you get that program under investigation. Listen, I'm all about, you know, Lane Kiffin's makeover and, and you know, fun on Twitter. But I, I have a real hard time uh, having any pity for Ole Miss or Lane Kiffin when I look at the track records of, of both of those uh, both of those entities, Kiffin and Ole Miss. Let's go back to Georgia here. They obviously start practice next week. What's on your mind there, Mike? There's obviously a couple of position battles that are going to be interesting. We talked about quarterback uh, off the top of the program here today. Uh, what's on your radar as Georgia gets ready to begin its practices next week? Well, that's it. You know, we, like Kirby said, you know, he said we're going to find out about these guys when we get back to camp. 
who's worked out? Who had the big summer? Who looks good? Who's in the best shape? Who's he going to be calling out on the megaphone for not hustling from one drill to the next because it's 100 degrees and they've already been going an hour? And you're going to find out which Georgia players put in them. He's going to find that out. He's going to find that out early. And it could be a separator at some spots. And then and then I just can't get away from the full metal jacket line. Can, will, will Carson Beck earn Kirby Smart's trust? Or will he go full metal jacket when he makes mistakes again? Because that's been the story of his career. Whether it was three interceptions in a scrimmage earlier this spring or not running after a guy after a pick six or having a bad week of practice after he was in line to start against UAB, is Carson Beck all grown up and ready to make good decisions and earn the trust of his head coach. Because we know he has an electric arm. We know he has an NFL arm, but so did Eason. And Fromm was the choice, ultimately, right? So does Beck earn the head coach's trust? Does he earn it to the extent that he's the unquestioned number one? Or are we talking about 1A and 1B and seeing both quarterbacks playing in the first two or three games as Kirby molds this over and, and, and you know needs to see more from Beck? before he trusts the decision. Any of his quarterbacks, for that matter, he said, it's going to come down to decision-making. Could be Vandergriff. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Vandergriff's the guy that, you know, maybe he's got to show. I mean, they all, somebody has to earn Kirby's and Bobo's trust. You, your coach has to trust you. Now, I have a, I have a question for you again. Okay. Because I, I saw where you said you, you practiced your, your, that practicing your autograph wasn't going to pay off. I don't think that's necessarily true. Don't you have an event coming up? Is that not true? Oh, I'm going to be at an autograph signing, but I will not be signing autographs. I'm just going to be there. Yes, you, why? I I'm just going to be. I'm just going to be like the, the the former players and Coach Richter signing the autographs. I'm just going to be there hanging out. I'm I'm kind of like the uh, the party host, if you will. I'm sort of the there's well, not I'm, I, there's I, not a I microphone, so I'm not really the MC. Uh, but yes, I did say that yesterday. I thought I felt like Arch Manning's autograph on the uh panini uh you know trading cards i didn't quite feel like that was befitting of a manning (laughs) i mean and and like it seems like about half the people know exactly what i'm talking about because they kind of grew up doing the same thing and about half the people think that's the craziest thing they've ever heard which i guess is you know maybe true there as well but you know how this is mike when we were kids in class we're supposed to be paying attention we spend the whole i mean people kind of get on to me now for the show because i kind of doodle during the show uh you know uh you know when you're a kid you're supposed to be taking notes you're sort of practicing your autograph you're putting your jersey number on there you're just doing all that kind of stuff uh just because that's just kind of what kids do i guess autographs I mean, listen, I still like, you know, uh, sports cards and things like that. So, I mean, autographs are still a pretty big deal to me, but maybe they're not quite as big a deal to other people as they maybe would have been back, you know, during my day. But you know what I'm talking about, Mike. We kind of grew up doing that, at least, at least in our era, my era. We kind of grew up doing that because I guess we were all just raging narcissists, I guess. Well, I, I don't think that's what it was. I think that's what, to your point, I think that was a bigger part of the sports culture. If you were able to come in contact with an athlete, and get their autograph somehow. I, I still remember getting Walter Payton's autograph. Sure, that was a really, really big deal. I kept that hat forever. Uh, you know that I, I had Walter Payton's autograph, and not only that, I think I had his wife's autograph. Like everybody, like was there somebody famous? Sign it because you didn't. Ha- we didn't have the web. We didn't have access to famous people or cameos. And somebody you didn't have access to the people like you do now. So that was. That was your your moment of passing, and your mo- and to your point, yes, of course. I mean, I, I was just, I was making the point because you actually have a very nice 
autograph. Like oh, your penmanship is remarkable. No, nobody has good penmanship. <laughs> oh, I don't know about know that. that. I will tell you this. This is funny though, because for people who know what we're talking about, so yesterday I kind of tweeted something about a Panini uh, car with Arch Manning, and since then people have been sending me other autographed football cards. <laughs> Some of these are so bad that it's beyond. I mean, like poor George Pickens, his signature is like a squiggly line. I mean, it, it looks like a smudge. Like it, it doesn't even like appear to be a letter in the alphabet. So maybe I was a little too hard on Arch Manning, who I thought had a kind of a simplistic signature. I mean, see, when I grew up, like this is back when like baseball card shows were like a huge deal, and like Mickey Mantle would be there and had the big swooping M's in his signature. It was like it's all very you know sort of official looking and kind of John Hancockish. So I think I probably just sort of grew up in a signature era uh, where, where that, you know, I just grew up going to baseball card shows, things like that. You know, signatures used to be a big deal. You wanted to see what the signatures looked like. Arnold Palmer was really big on that. He was a, he was very much a believer that when he signed his name, he wanted people to be able to read Arnold Palmer. And so I think there's a certain little class to that of having kind of a nice looking signature. My handwriting overall is probably not that great, but uh, I thought it was I was impressed. And and honestly, that is one thing I will say that I do miss from Georgia is the the Georgia players doing the autograph uh, thing when people would get in line and file through there. Like I thought that was a really big deal, and I don't know, you know, if or when Kirby will ever bring that back. But I, I think that was, I thought that was a really special thing that they did, and they had a really good setup, and I got to see Kirby interact with a lot of kids and families in that way. And um, I, I know that he's a, a taskmaster guy that that has you know incredible efficiency as far as everything that he does is about winning a championship. But that. That is one thing. I do miss the fan day activity, Brandon. I wish I wish Georgia uh, would would bring that back. Yeah, I grew up going to that. You know, and unfortunately, the program is just more popular now than it used to be. Uh, it, it was obviously very popular back in the '90s, but it's just way more popular now. It's like logistically a difficult thing to do. But when I was a kid. You know, you could just walk around the practice field. You go talk to whoever you wanted to, like Eric Zire and Garrison Hurst and Andre Hastings, all these really good players. You had pretty easy access to them. Not only could you get their autograph and get a picture with them, you sort of stand there and talk to them a little bit. I mean, like for a young man like me, that was a really big deal and a really cool thing. And, you know, you wish that every kid now could get unfettered access to these Georgia players, but obviously that is not an easy thing to do. It's actually one of the good things about NIL is it does create more of those opportunities kind of away for the program away from the program for players to interact with their uh, young fans in some cases but when I was a kid you could just go walk up to a Georgia player and just go talk to him and it was such a fun experience back then obviously Georgia is just a little bit different animal now in terms of the immense popularity of the program but uh, those are happy memories for me growing up to be sure yeah I think I think right now a lot of Georgia fans you know there's a lot of happy memories coming off of two national championship seasons and I think we're all eager for next week and the opportunity to visit with Kirby and the players. And, and that was kind of another takeaway. Was I thought Kirby uh, was was at his best. And, you know, I know Nick Saban skipped Radio Row, and I, I don't know what excuse he gave. But, but Kirby made the rounds. And, and it would have been easy for, you know, for there to be a different tone. Uh, but, but I didn't feel that tone. I, I felt a really positive vibe coming out of there. I felt like the page had been turned. I felt like Kirby set the tone. I thought the players that he brought followed suit. Um, yeah, there were some tough questions asked. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I, 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 you know, of course, we covered this ad nauseum. We didn't have, but there were other. There were national media that asked some tough questions. But you know what? They, 
Georgia handled it, and they moved on. And that's why this, this Northwest, oh, well, Northwestern, they're not going to bring their players. Why? Why? Listen, there's more, to, there's more going on. Uh, obviously, there's been some reports up there of hazing, et cetera. But the fact that they're just going to shut it down and shutter their players, granted, to me, that's the wrong answer. These are young, capable men that are old enough to go to war for the country, uh, and they're on scholarship at a school like Northwestern, one of the top, but they can't handle uh, an interview. I don't buy that, and it's it just such a contrast to Georgia, where Kirby not only went in there, but went in there with head held high, players as well, and handled the moment, and talked football. And it, yes, there were some tough questions, but you know what? They handled those questions appropriately as young men, and it said a lot to me about the program and the direction and where Georgia football is at right now. Uh, because that's not a given. That's that was tough. It's been a tough off season. I think we can say that. But the fact that that program handled it the way they did, the fact that that head coach not only did the interviews in front of them, he did all the radio radio row interviews. He didn't dodge anyone. Kirby is a, it was upfront, accountable, and very positive. To me, it's a shame that uh, that Northwestern feels like they have to hide student athletes at a time when these young men should be able to represent themselves and what they stand for, what they believe in, and handle the moment. Um, it's, it's a life experience, and we all have those moments, but, but the fact that that's the reaction, I didn't like that message, Brandon. I didn't like that message at all. All right, Mike, thanks for being here on the program today. We'll look forward to reading a lot from you as we get ready for the start of Georgia practice next week, and then obviously after that, it is here, it is upon us, and I think I speak for a lot of folks in our audience when I say I truly cannot wait. So we will look forward to talking to you then. Yeah, man, look forward to it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so once again, what Mike kind of referenced there was the fact that <laughs> so Arch Manning signed this uh, contract with Panini. Panini is the uh, sports card manufacturer that makes football and basketball cards now. And he had these autograph cards that came out. And I still, like, I grew up loving that stuff. I still love that stuff. I know for some of you think that's sort of a dorky thing to like, but I don't really care. I still love sports cards and sports memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. I just really like that. And probably always will. Uh, my son likes it now too, which is a kind of a fun thing for us to to share together. And I just didn't think the Arch Manning signature looked that good. And so I talked about how when we were kids, we used to practice our autograph. And I know I'm not completely crazy because the other day I happened to be talking about this with Kaylee Manzel, who's obviously a good bit younger than me, but she knew exactly what I was talking about because she saw you know guys doing that too. And I guess you know girls kind of do some version of the same same thing. People just sort of doodle during class. I doodle during the show, like just nonsense stuff that just I don't know. It's just one of those things you just kind of do it. So she knew exactly what I was talking about. But some of the people <laughs> responded to me like I had sixteen heads for you know for saying that. But just one of those things you sort of notice. And I guess in retrospect, when you see some of the other autograph cards that are out there right now, you realize the Arch Manning card. I don't have the, you know, the image to show you if you're watching a video, but it's not hard to find for yourself. You can go to my Twitter feed, I Dog Nation Daily, and see it. I guess in retrospect, the Manning signature may not be quite as bad as some of the ones that are out there right now, uh, because there are some that are, I mean, they're just basically just squiggly lines. So nonetheless, uh, and by the way, speaking of autographs, as Mike also pointed out, on Saturday, I'm going to be doing a really fun event. We had Coach Rick on the show. You remember last week? This is going to be at the D1 training facility there on Saturday. Coach Rick's signing autographs. Our buddy John Stinchcomb is going to be there. And one of the other guys that's going to be there is former Georgia quarterback David Green. And the good news on this is, is David's actually going to be back on our show tomorrow. David's a guy that's been on the show a lot over the years. 
David's also like a really busy guy, businessman, very serious uh, in his professional world. And so we don't get a chance to talk to David on the show as much as I wish we still did. But tomorrow, we're going to talk to David Green here on the show. One of the things I'm actually looking forward to discussing with David is, you know, he knows Mike Bobo pretty well. He worked with Bobo um, as a Georgia starting quarterback. And so as Bobo gets ready to take the helm again as Georgia's offensive coordinator, a guy who's worked with him, I think that's a really fun conversation. So I'm excited about that tomorrow. David Green going to be back with us on uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Manager. I'm really excited about that. Can't wait for all of that. I'm also excited about our friends at Royal Caribbean. 2024 is going to be such a big year for Royal Caribbean. It's the debut of Icon of the Seas, largest cruise ship in the world. My son yesterday, like we were having a conversation. We A lot of times we'll go and we'll just do some baseball stuff in the afternoons. Uh, he's a big baseball player. He enjoys that. So I'll go and I'll do a little you know workout with him, You know, throw some BP and things like that. And there's no telling what he's going to start talking about during something like this. And so he started dropping hints yesterday about how much he wants to go on Icon of the Seas next year, which gives you an idea of how, I guess, spoiled my kids are. But uh, he was, you know, dropping a lot of hints about, you know, I just really think he'd be a good idea for him to be on Icon of the Seas at some point in time next year. So he's already thinking about that. You should be thinking about that there as well. That's not the only cruise ship debuting for Royal Caribbean next year, though. Also in July of 2024, we've got the uh, debut of Utopia of the Seas. Now, I think this is really cool because this is a very aggressive move on the part of Royal Caribbean. A brand new Oasis-class ship, a state-of-the-art, I mean, just, you know, standard-setting ship within the cruise industry is going to debut at Port Canaveral. That's sort of what I think of as sort of my home port. That's the closest port to us here in the Atlanta area where I live. An Oasis-class ship that's going to be doing those three- and four-night sailings out of Port Canaveral. What an amazing thing that is and an awesome opportunity because for a lot of people who are going to take their first cruise experience and maybe for you, you're kind of on the fence about taking that first cruise experience. This is going to be a great opportunity to be a part of an Oasis class ship on a three or four night sailing, a brand new ship. There's always so much fun to be about, uh, so much fun to be had on a brand new ship like this. So big things going with Royal Caribbean in 2024, including the Dog Nation cruise there as well. And I'll tell you more about that tomorrow because I've kind of gone a little long on this here right now. Let me instead give you a couple of pieces of news, a part of our cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Story I've actually been meaning to get to for a couple of days. We just keep running out of time. So Florida's reportedly lost an offensive lineman. It's Keontae Godwin. And this is one of those things. He came in from Kentucky. This is a big dude, former you know, pretty good prospect. It's, it's actually kind of a sad story here. I guess apparently the, the word on the street is his mom may be ha- may, has cancer and he may be going try to play football a little closer to home because his mom's obviously dealing with a very serious illness. And like you know, we make fun of Florida all the time, but obviously this is a serious situation and you know kind of family stuff like this supersedes football. So we don't have any kind of snarky joke about that. That's, that's really sad and really serious. And obviously our prayers go out to him and you know just sort of wish him well, wish his mom well, certainly as she you know kind of battles cancer here. And yet to bring it back to football, there is obviously kind of a a very real concern for Florida that is once again highlighted because of the reported you know absence from God, of Godwin from the program, which is this is a Florida team that has some issues on its offensive line. And you look at the over-under season win total for the Gators right now, it's set at like five and a half, which is shockingly low. Florida barely made a bowl a year ago, got embarrassed by Oregon State when it when it did go to Las Vegas for its bowl game last season. All of a sudden, now you stare at the very real possibility that Florida could miss a bowl in Billy Napier's second year. Now, this is a team that's also on the other side of this. They are power rated inside the top 20 by the FP 
PI from ESPN. So there are some expectations that it could be a year two bounce. A lot of that probably depends on what happens on defense. They also have a pretty good pair of running backs there as well. So they're going to try to lean on some of that for the upcoming year. But they've got major issues along the offensive line. They're double-digit favorite to begin the season, or I should say a double-digit underdog to begin the season at Utah. And if you start kind of wondering what happens after that, is it a chance that Billy Napier completely falls flat on his face when it comes to uh, this season? Do they miss a bowl? And with the schedule they're slated to play in 2024, given you know the expanded SEC, the tough teams they'll be facing within that, as well as the other Power 5 teams from their own state, UCF, Miami, and Florida State, boy, it would be a really, really tough situation for Napier if he somehow fails to go to a bowl, if he somehow finishes underneath that five-and-a-half win total. But if you're looking for a reason why that might happen, a very unsettled offensive line where they're going to lean on a transfer out of FIU to potentially be a starter, really, really shaky offensive line situation for Florida. It's worth circling. It's worth watching. That could be their biggest weakness, and that is not a good position group to have as your biggest weakness there's a very strange story out there right now involving Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh where I guess the expectation is he's gonna be suspended by the NCAA for four games for essentially lying to the NCAA over what may have been a small improper benefit I think it's like a small meal or something like that to a recruit I think this is really strange Um, I think the NCAA has behaved weirdly in both this story and the Jeremy Pruitt story from the other day seems obvious to me that in kind of like a death rattle last you know grasp at uh any kind of relevance the ncaa is trying to beef itself up as a little bit of uh investigative you know uh body here as a as a protector of the rules body here you know i don't know how much longer the ncaa is going to exist but they certainly seem to be trying to flex in what might be some of their final days here as a entity that has any influence over college football at all this is if the four game suspension really is the thing here this is the largest suspension I think the NCAA has ever given to a coach before, which is, I think, pretty wild, ahead of the three-game suspension that Urban Meyer once got. So it seems like a very heavy punishment for a very simple thing. And people say, well, Jim Harbaugh lied. You know, how many people in college athletics lie all the time about all kinds of things? Uh, I'm not saying lying is good. It's not. But the idea this is the one lie that can't be can't be allowed to stand given all the other lies we hear all the time about every little thing in the world uh i just think all this sort of seems a little bit strange but obviously georgia fans like the idea of anything kind of bad happening to mighty michigan the team we've been told by reese davis and a lot of others is the very best team in all the college ball here this year now what's kind of funny here as well is the fact that with the early season games that harbaugh is expected to miss you're kind of left to conclude gosh this Michigan schedule is really easy you know he's not really missing anything of note anyway Michigan plays no one out of conference and I think it leads to an important question how come nobody's noticed this before now because Michigan did the same thing in 2022 a year in which Georgia opened its season playing against Oregon Michigan played nobody of consequence in its non-conference they don't do that again this year too and yet Georgia has been raked over the coals for its out-of-conference schedule here this particular season, even though they had a little bit of a, you know, a circumstance beyond their control, given the fact that the Oklahoma game was basically canceled by the SEC that Georgia's supposed to play. Well, guess what? Michigan didn't have any games canceled. They had no non-conference games of note, even on this slate to begin with. They play nobody and make no apologies for doing so. And yet the media doesn't quite seem to be paying attention to that. And I think it's fair to ask the question why that is. 
And this is where I think you see a little bit of a bias against Georgia at work. And it's not a bias because the media hates Georgia. It's a bias because the media hates repetition. Media gets bored very, very quickly. And they want to see something new in college football. So they want to talk up the belief that someone else could be the best team in the country. And a program like Michigan is a pretty good team to talk up because guess what? Michigan truly has millions of fans. There is a lot about the Big Ten that is grossly overrated. The one thing that's not overrated is the level of support these programs get. They have very big alumni bases. They come in many cases from very populous states. Big Ten schools, especially the best Big Ten schools, the biggest Big Ten schools, have a lot of fans. Michigan has a lot of fans. And so therefore, proclaiming them to be the best team in college football is probably a pretty good business move. And when it comes to Georgia, who is the reigning two-time national champion, in order to build somebody else up, you have to find some way to nitpick Georgia, some way to just sort of take them down a peg on the field. You've given you're given no evidence of how to be able to do that. So it seems like in the search to find something to nitpick about Georgia, you know, this sort of usual suspects within the national media have kind of zeroed in on the fact that Georgia plays this year a what appears to be a very weak schedule in comparison to what Georgia's schedule typically might be. And therefore you kind of grasp a hold of that. Now, why hasn't that been noticed about Michigan, which is just as bad? Because the media didn't go looking for it. The media went looking for something about Georgia it could nitpick. There's no need to do that for Michigan because they want to build Michigan up. And it's just an example, I believe, of probably a small bias, but a bias nonetheless, a bias at work. There is an attempt to build up certain teams as a, in the hopes of making this season more interesting. There's an attempt to find some sort of nag about Georgia because you kind of need the season not to be a foregone conclusion. And when I told Mike Griffith before, when I've said to other folks here this week already, I don't mean this uh, sarcastically. I mean this literally. If Georgia has 11 first-team All-SEC players, the season's already over. Now, that's a lot for anybody to have. We kind of gave you some recent examples of just how – extraordinary that would be so maybe it stands to reason that georgia won't have 11 but this is why there is such a search right now to find some team that can be interesting some team that could win the championship because given what georgia seems to have on paper there is a real possibility this season there's very little drama at all that the easy path that georgia had to the national championship last season the path in some respects could be even easier here this season that's at least a possibility that must be considered. Then finally, there's this. This is outside the SEC, but I wanted to mention nonetheless. So ACC Media Days has taken place this week. And one time years ago, kind of pre-Dog Nation, I got a chance to go to ACC Media Days. Let me tell you this. If you ever get a chance to go, you should go. They always have like a nice resort. It's always really relaxed. There's some golf. There's some good food. It's a very different vibe than SEC Media Days. So if you ever get a chance to go, you should. Uh, But nonetheless, Brent Key, the new Georgia Tech coach, was there. And one of the things that came up from Key was the subject of the Georgia Bulldogs. David Hale wrote about this at ESPN.com. And I think for some Georgia fans, it's kind of interesting to hear Brent Key mention Georgia. My overall take on this might be a little different than you think it might be. I actually kind of like what Brent Key said. Let me kind of read it to you. I'll tell you why. Uh, About the Georgia dominance over Georgia Tech, Key says, is it annoying? Uh, Heck, yeah, it is. Uh, Kirby Smart's done a great job. He has. And I told him, we've got to do something about it. So in other words, uh, the headline, the the quote that kind of got some attention was the fact that Brent Key said it was annoying how much better Georgia had been uh, than Georgia Tech. And people kind of laugh about that and say, you know, whatever. 
But it's the last part of that that really matters to me. Brent Key saying, we've got to do something about that. He went on to talk about the fact that when you talk about great rivalries in college football, you don't talk about Georgia-Georgia Tech at all, which is true. Georgia-Georgia Tech, the rivalry known as clean old-fashioned hate, isn't on anybody's list of great rivalries in college football. It's just not. Key acknowledged that yesterday. I've always been a really big believer that the thing that makes a rivalry a rivalry is how much the little brother in that rivalry sort of pushes the envelope on that. You know, it's Auburn's responsibility to make the Iron Bowl a big deal. It's Georgia Tech's responsibility to make the game against Georgia clean, old-fashioned, hate a big deal. And recently, Georgia Tech coaches have been so bad that they've almost pretended like Georgia didn't exist. That was sort of the strategy for Paul Johnson. You know, Jeff Collins was never, you know, relevant enough to even claim anything about Georgia one way or another, that if you're a coach and you're trying to sort of stay in the good grace of your fans, you didn't want to use Georgia as a measuring stick. Now, I don't think that Brent Key is going to be able to use Georgia as a measuring stick either, but he's at least acknowledging the fact that we want to make this a rivalry. We want to, we want to be a factor in this discussion. And it's kind of a weird thing. Georgia fans would never root for Georgia Tech to to be good, and they would never root for the rivalry to matter more than it does because they like dominating the rivalry. But consider this for a moment. We just talked an awful lot about the fact that Georgia plays no one of note on its non-conference schedule this year. That's a little bit of a statement about Georgia Tech. This is a power five non-conference team that Georgia plays every year. And it never gets any credit for playing Tech whatsoever because Tech is typically so bad that it doesn't count as a quality opponent. And so in a roundabout way, you know, it's probably worth Georgia fans paying at least a little bit of attention to what Brent Key is able to do starting his career there now as the sort of full-fledged Georgia Tech coach. Could he do something to get on anybody's radar at all? Could he at least rise the program to the level of such that it could be a quality win when Georgia beats Tech at the end of the year? I'm just happy to hear a coach at Georgia Tech mention Georgia because I did grow up this rivalry, but if Georgia is going to not even view Tech as a team that deserves to be in the field with it, and if Tech is going to ignore Georgia because to acknowledge Georgia only shines a light on how irrelevant Tech is, then folks, that's not a rivalry. But you've got to have both sides talking about the other in order to make the game feel like it matters. And so maybe the words from Brent Key were a step in the right direction on that yesterday. We'll see what it's followed up with, but at least worth considering. And we'll make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, while I may acknowledge that about Brent Key, that, hey, I didn't mind what he said yesterday. The one thing I have no plans on doing with him anytime soon is sharing any of my finished long drink with him. Key now coaches inside the state of Georgia, so obviously he knows the peach state, I guess, pretty well, but he'll be getting none of my peach-flavored finished laundry. I'm not doing that anytime soon, nor do I uh, expect any of y'all to do that either, but I do expect you to enjoy some yourself because, let's face it, maybe you've tried the long drink cranberry or the long drink strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume. You've tried the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, or maybe you've tried the traditional in the blue can uh, with the grapefruit flavor and the gin kick, and you say, I like all of them, B.A., and now I'm ready for what's next. Well, what's next from our friends at the Finish Long Drink is the peach-flavored version. So if you love those mixed drinks in a can, those ready-to-drink cocktails, the Finish Long Drink's got you on that. So find them online, thelongdrink.com. You can find out where to pick up some of the peach-flavored version of the Finish Long Drink today. All right, Golden Shoe to wrap us up. SEC media day is over. Vols fans kind of hoping that maybe that's a springboard for Tennessee's I guess return to relevance. That's what they sort of hope it is. That's our golden shoe theme for today. Kenny Powder sent this to me. He says, how about them Vols? 
Dog Nation Daily. Hashtag own the East. Hashtag go dogs. And it's a meme here of uh, of Adam Sandler. Uh, he says, we almost uh, won it last season, uh, Tennessee fan says. And Sandler says, no, you didn't. Then the Chris Farley character says, no, but this is going to be our year. The Adam Sandler character says, no, it won't. And then Chris Farley has to agree, no, no, it won't. And that's pretty much the way it goes for Tennessee. Had a brief glimpse of what they thought was relevance last year. Fizzled pretty quickly, and we don't expect it to get any better here this year. So very funny by Kenny Powders. We'll give him a golden shoe for that. And by the way, another rival there in the SEC East. The lousy, stinking Gators. About 94 days from right now. Georgia in Jacksonville beating Florida again. That is our Gatorator countdown. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.